0: inspiring conversations with the most compelling performers, educators, authors, and product manufacturers of our time. This is the show about all that's new and neat with Clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast. Today, to get a job in the orchestra world, you have to complete an audition, and normally you have to find these jobs online. But it wasn't always easy to do this for clarinet players until James Zimmerman came along and started the group Clarinet Jobs on Facebook, which you've probably heard of. Today we discuss the founding of Clarinet Jobs, how this actually helped him get his own job in the Nashville Symphony Orchestra, and how to deal with online criticism, marketing, and other elements of being a content creator. Please note that this is part one of a two-part conversation, I hope you'll tune in next time for the rest. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, and you're listening to the Clarinet Podcast at Clarinet.com. If you'd like to listen to an extended, ad-free version of today's episode and many others, head to com slash subscribe. Don't forget to visit the Clarinet store for links to buy official apparel and special offers, products, and services, some of which are available exclusively to our listeners. And of course, I love to hear from listeners all over the world. If you'd like to get in touch with me or be a guest on the program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback just click on the contact button at our website. Again, that's clarinet.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and thank you especially to our sponsors for helping make it all possible. Clarinettist David Schifrin at the International Clarinet Celebration in beautiful Portland, Oregon, June 24th to 30th, hosted by Chamber Music Northwest. This event combines a full week of concerts by world-class artists like Carado giuffredi and Jose Frank Biester. There's also clarinet masterclasses, lectures, clarinet mentors, amateur workshops, ensemble performance opportunities, a clarinet marketplace, and a young artist competition. Passes are on sale now, and you can learn more at CMNW.org. Have you wanted to try D'Addario reeds but weren't quite sure which to choose? Here's how to decide. Reserve reeds come in a white and blue box. They feature a traditional blank and are perfect for those who want to focus sound with the quickest response possible. Reserve Classic reeds come in a white and purple box. They feature a thicker blank that provides an expanded tonal color palette, clarity of articulation, and added flexibility. And the new Reserve Evolution reeds come in a white and yellow box. They feature our thickest blank and have a heavy spine for added projection and exceptional tonal depth, warmth, and flexibility. You'll have to try it to believe it. Try Reserve Reads now at your local music store or head to clarinet.com slash reads to buy a box right now. Hosting for Clarinet is sponsored by Bakun and their new Vocalise mouthpiece, complex resonance at a reasonable price. Get yours at www.bakunmusical.com and save 10% on any accessory purchase with code clarinet at checkout. James, welcome to the podcast. It's nice, so nice to have someone who is uh, also in the realm of the internet on the show to chat with me today.
1: Yeah, it's great to be on the show. I'm a fan and um, it's great to be talking about how clarinet is going to get online in the future. It's an important thing for any of us to understand if we're going to survive doing this.
0: Absolutely. So why did you start clarinetjobs.com or the whole concept, I suppose?
1: I started clarinet jobs as a Facebook group. This is back in the day in 2007, before there were Facebook pages, there were groups. And this is right after I'd graduated from graduate school. I was panicking because my network in my clarinet studio, which was then at the University of Minnesota, was gone. And I wasn't going to be able to talk to my studio mates about their experiences in auditions. So I figured, let's just found a group real quick. And I'll invite my, you know, 50 or 60 clarinet friends who know what Facebook is to come into this group and we can share, you know, whatever's coming up about auditions, what our experiences were, who won, et cetera. And, you know, it was about five minutes. I had a piece of clip art that is still the official clarinet jobs clip art, the boy playing clarinet, which I had grabbed from Google somewhere along the way. I just threw that clip art on there, invited my friends, and then all these people started
0: joining it all over the place and uh, just grew from there. It's so funny you say that because that's kind of what happened to Claire Neat too. I had this concept idea to start a podcast and I started a Facebook group and these people just started following it. And I was like, oh man, I guess I need to make a podcast now. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: mean, Facebook's algorithm is so smart about picking people up and knowing what people are going to like. So if you can start something just with the people that you know, it will take off if Facebook thinks it's a good idea.
0: Well, so let's go back to that really beginning stage then, because I think that even me, I tend to forget that. The internet has really changed in the last 10 or 12 years now. I can't believe it's been that long. Back in 2007, Facebook, I think it had just opened its doors to the public about a year earlier, and YouTube was only two years old. I mean, it was a totally different world on the internet. So what was it like then versus now for clarinet jobs?
1: You're absolutely right. When I was in graduate school at the University of Minnesota, I started in 2005 and I finished in 2007. And YouTube in 2005 was acquired by Google. And I had no idea the potential that existed on YouTube. And while I was in graduate school, Facebook originally was just for college students. And there was this debate about whether they were going to open it up to everybody. And it was open to everybody while I was in graduate school. So it was in its very infant stages when Clarinet Jobs was founded. And this is before Instagram. This is before Spotify. The only music algorithm service that was really out there then was Pandora, which was part of an offshoot of the Music Genome Project. And it was so ahead of its time. This new generation today that uses Instagram primarily above Facebook, I don't think has any clue what finding music was like before this stuff existed. But that's when clarinet jobs started, when the internet was sort of this frontier-like territory. And it sort of had a haunted feel to it back then. Like when you were online, it was mysterious and not everybody knew about the platforms. And you fast forward now to 2019, you can't imagine life without it. But I've tried to keep clarinet jobs current in any way I can, whether that means updating it to a page or branching off into YouTube, just so that this basic idea of conversing about what it means to be a professional, what it means to become a professional, can happen online for people so they can take that information back to their practice room and give themselves a better chance of getting a job.
0: So how big is the community grown at this point?
1: It has over 9,000 Facebook likes. It has about 1,000 subscriptions on YouTube, about 2,000 Instagram followers. And it has about 2,000 Twitter followers, but I've discovered that nobody likes to interface or engage with clarinet jobs on Twitter. For whatever reason, it's just not a short-form piece of content. So I kind of neglect Twitter. So it has about 12,000 people.
0: I think most people are neglecting Twitter these days.
1: (laughs) That's not necessarily true down here in the States, but I find it, it's not the best platform for music. Instagram is by far the best music platform. Twitter is great for news. Facebook is great for personal relationships. So that said, I've tried to figure out how to take clarinet jobs to the different platforms in ways that will be suited to those platforms, since they're all very different in their feel.
0: Well, that's amazing. From 60 to almost 12,000 people now, that's uh quite the accomplishment. And, you know, that's people all over the world. And uh, so how do people learn from your website in the sense of where jobs are available and how do they get submitted?
1: Well, when I founded the group, I was unemployed. So I was looking in the International Musician, that's the newspaper for the American Federation of Musicians or the Musicians Union, as we say, colloquially. I was looking all the time because I was on the circuit And there was a website at the time, I think it's still out there, called Musical Chairs, which orchestras could advertise on there. So I was always looking for jobs. And I said, you know what, just as something I can do for my friends, I'll just put these in the group. Because at the time, the way the Facebook groups worked, there was kind of a bulletin board type thing where when you went into the group, you could see this right away. So that was the hallmark of clarinet jobs from the beginning. You could just go in there and you would see all the jobs in chronological order. So that's how I search for them, the way that anybody else would search for them, through the union and through musical chairs. And that was and still is the hallmark of the group. What are the jobs? And people like to find out who wins. You know, it's kind of like a sport for us, let's be honest, clarinet players. Like, especially if there's a big job, like the principal clarinet of the Chicago Symphony, for example. That is huge news. That's like the World Cup, because it only happens in those big five American orchestras usually once per generation. And then there's a huge domino effect that usually lasts for years. And, you know, I'm just interested in that, not from a gossip perspective, but just because I want to study the trends. Like what are, what kind of equipment are these people playing? What kind of style did they come from? What schools did they go to? Because the more information you can gather, the better chance it gives you of succeeding yourself. So that was the conversational side of clarinet jobs from the beginning. There was a message board in the early Facebook group days That was incredibly useful. And because it was just me and my friends, you know, we would discuss sensitive information in there and nobody was really paying attention because Facebook had only a fraction of the reach back then that it has now. So it was a great place to just hang out like an old message forum type thing from the early 2000s or late 90s, like a message board that people would use back then, almost like a news group, if anybody listening even has any idea what that is. (laughs) So... that's how the group started is as an an easy way to look for what jobs were out there and to discuss the results. And from there, I discovered, surprisingly, there's a lot of people who are interested in that. And now for clarinet players, you ask a younger generation person, like, how do you find out what the jobs are? And they don't even know how because they just go to clarinet jobs. It's all kind of fed to them through Facebook. So maybe I've crippled some people along the way. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny the uh, the reach because um, so many schools have orchestral degrees, but there really are so few jobs out there for, for all of these people sometimes, it seems like. Um, and of course, then the ironic thing about that is that nobody seems to win so many jobs. But at the same time, do you feel that this whole concept, like obviously it's helping other people find and locate jobs, but did it help you find and locate your current job? Absolutely. Because the culture that was established at the
1: University of Southern California, where I did my undergrad studying with Yehuda Gilad, every time one of the senior members of the studio went to an audition, that was the first thing we discussed in masterclass. The person would basically stand up and give a report about what the audition was like. What were the surprises? What was the protocol? Because he wanted the younger people in the studio to get a feel for what that was going to be like when we embarked on that journey. So that was what I was hoping to bring onto the internet was that conversation about auditions because the audition game changes all the time. and With the changing of technology has really influenced the audition game and just the changing in culture and people's ever shortening attention span and the outrage culture that we live in at least in the States now. I mean, just speaking of what you just said, the fact that nobody wins a lot of jobs Those are the most engaging posts on clarinet jobs by far are the times when nobody wins. And it doesn't even matter what is the scope of that job, whether it's principal clarinet of the Chicago Symphony or if it's a section job in a small armed services band. Every time nobody wins, there's this huge outrage and Facebook's algorithm picks up on that outrage and starts to distribute it. So that's just one of the many ways that technology has changed the audition game. Like people are more angry about it than ever.
0: What do you make of that sort of anger in that situation? I mean, do you think it's to some extent justified? I've heard many opinions about this.
1: I think, yeah, people have a right to be angry about whatever they want to be angry about. But I think there's a chasm growing between what people know and what Really happens in orchestras. Like, students are, despite the fact that there's more information available to them, and despite the fact that there are websites like Clarinet Jobs and there are podcasts like Clarinet, people are less informed than ever. So, if we're going to save this business from extinction, people have to step up and educate people about what it's really like. And if you go back and look at my very first YouTube video from the fall of 2017 for Clarinet Jobs, I said something to the effect of a lot of people want to be clarinet players, but they have no idea what that looks like. You know, they just, they think they're going to get into an orchestra and live happily ever after and everything's going to be fine. They're going to have enough money to live. It's going to be stable. None of that is totally true. So I think arming people with some knowledge about what they're getting themselves into can only help them get jobs and keep our jobs
0: viable. Well, you're right. I think that so many people look at the orchestra as sort of this end goal. Like once they get there, they've just got this free, easy ride until retirement. But in, and I'm not a you know orchestral player full time, of course. But so I don't, I don't really know what it's like day to day. But I would imagine that the stress and the work and the intense, uh, you know, endurance that you need to have, it just builds through your career and sustains. It doesn't. It's not like it suddenly gets really easy because you have a job.
1: In some ways, it gets easier, but in other ways, it gets harder because I'm 36 years old now. I don't like to practice as much as I did when I was 22. You know, I can't physically handle six, seven, eight hours a day the way that I would regularly do when I was in graduate school. On the flip side, I don't need to practice as much to get my A game together. And, you know, I'm not one of those people that clarinet is the only thing in my life that I care about. I've got a family I've got interests, musical interests outside of the orchestra. So yeah, in some ways the orchestra is, it's something that gets harder over time, but in other ways it gets easier. And it should be noted that not every orchestra is the same. Like the big five orchestras, they have much different schedules, much different expectations than an orchestra like the Nashville Symphony, which is very much a full-time second tier orchestra, but I spend a ton of time in the recording studio, I teach, and I do stuff like this. You know, I have huge media interests from a production standpoint. I like to make things like videos, and I'm getting more into the art of recording, and I like to write. So that's another huge misunderstanding that people have about going into the clarinet profession to begin with. They think that they're just going to be in the orchestra, and that's going to satisfy all of your artistic needs for the rest of their lives. And that may be true for some people, but it's absolutely not true for me.
0: You know, that's such a great statement. And that's exactly how I feel too. I mean, I found that I was quite happy sometimes working as a sub and sometimes working as a music clinician and going around to schools and now doing what I do with with Bakun and all these different ventures for me, they're all fulfilling in their own way, but any one of them wouldn't be sustaining on its own. Um, so having sort of this portfolio career is becoming super common now, and it's one of the ways you can sort of stay fresh, I think, as a, as a player. So I think it's really important for young people to identify that in their career aspirations, you know?
1: Yeah. And like you said, having a diversified portfolio of work and work skills is something that I think is going to become more and more necessary because if you look around the country, the United States, and I'm sure this is true in Canada, there's not a lot of new orchestras forming, especially not new orchestras that can support a person's livelihood. So there are more and more students embarking on this career path, though, as the years go by. So proportionally, there's fewer and fewer jobs playing exclusively in an orchestra. So the more people have the ability to be good recording artists and be good videographers and be good writers and be good teachers and be good producers, that can only help you. And it's going to become more and more necessary going forward, which is why, you know, 12 years after starting clarinet jobs, I'm trying to show people like you need to learn to do much more than just play the excerpts. That's important to learn the excerpts. And to learn the skill and craft of orchestral playing. But, you know, 20 years down the road, you're going to need this stuff more th- even than you need it
0: now. Well, and you might not even know the job that you're going to be having exists. Um, like I didn't, for example, know that I would be doing what I'm currently doing when I was in in uh, university. It wouldn't have even dawned on me. So and uh, same for you. I mean, I, I imagine when you were a young player, um, you know, just starting out, the Internet wasn't even really a thing on your mind, probably. It did, well, I'm not sure. Um you know, exactly what it was like where you were living. But, but here, I mean, I don't think we had any real internet until the early 2000s that anyone was actually involved in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I got online in the late 90s when I was in high school and I used it for gaming and chatting and just casual browsing. But yeah, I could never have foreseen something like YouTube existing where anyone that wants to can get on there and you instantly have a publishing contract. You know, you don't need a major company to produce your videos and distribute them for you the way you would have 50 years ago. So the great thing about the internet is it levels the playing field. And to some extent, it lets the cream of every industry rise to the top. And that's not to say that my videos that I've made about myself playing in the orchestra have spread because I'm the best at it. It's just nobody has tried this before. Like Nobody has tried what you're doing before with a full podcast devoted just to clarinet. So the internet does tend to reward things that are new and people that
0: persist in those endeavors. Well, you know, and this is a great segue because the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was the fact that Clarinet Jobs has gone from being sort of a resource where people can find what they need as far as, you know, what's out there for Clarinet work and also a place to discuss these things. But now you've started creating a series of videos and I can only describe these videos as extraordinarily entertaining and and valuable at the same time like it's if you haven't checked out these videos go go to youtube right now <laughs> pause this episode and, and just watch a few minutes of one and you'll see what i mean so um, basically you're, you're zoomed in it's a nice close-up and there's a lot of sort of auxiliary content that's being added in yeah it's not only really entertaining but informative so what led you to start creating these videos and where is your sort of goal with this long term
1: well I use YouTube all the time to find out how to do stuff that I don't know how to do. For example, I'm working on a house right now that my wife and I just bought, we're about to move into, and I'm using YouTube every day to figure out how to do drywall. It's something I've never done before. So I found a guy that I like, Vancouver Carpenter, a guy from Vancouver. He's really good. He's got like 43,000 subscribers. And he's got these amazing drywall videos that would allow somebody like me, a total novice to see what it's really like to do this stuff. So I said, you know, what if somebody did this for playing clarinet in an orchestra? Like, what would that even look like? So last season, we were playing Mendelssohn Three. That's a huge clarinet excerpt. And I talked to the orchestra committee, which is the committee of musicians that's elected in an orchestra that um, interfaces with management and makes sure everything is kosher according to our collective bargaining agreement, our contract. I said, what would you guys think if I did this? Would anybody have a problem with this if I just asked the audio engineer to, you know, he's got the microphones set up because we're recording this stuff for archival purposes and to play on the radio and whatnot. If I just asked him, hey, just record the rehearsal for me and give me the audio. And I'm going to put a GoPro on my stand and we'll just record everything. And I'll see if I can pull out a narrative of what it's like to practice and study throughout the week. And then afterwards, we'll look at the concert and... I'll analyze my playing. I have no qualms about putting my bad playing on the internet to show people, look, I'm not perfect on day one and that doesn't really matter. You prepare at home and then you look at the concert afterwards and you see how you can grow. This whole endeavor of clarinet jobs is to help the growth of people individually, but also the growth of this craft in general. So I didn't really know if anybody would like it or if they would think it was funny. Like I, I try to make them entertaining so that people will watch them. You know, we live in a culture where Instagram videos are, they max out at one minute. You know, Twitter maxes out at 280 characters. So people, they turn their attention to something else really quickly. But I'm basically asking people with these videos, look, this is like an episode of a Netflix show. Like, you want to sit down and watch this. And if it's not funny, if it's not entertaining, it's not informative, then nobody's going to watch it. So after I made the Mendelssohn, It had great response. And this is the key thing. It had great response from people who do not play in orchestras. I shared it on my personal media, and I got all kinds of messages from people who are not musicians saying, I just watched that whole thing. I couldn't wait to see how it turned out. I was like, huh, that's really interesting. That makes it more likely that some of my friends will want to come hear the orchestra, that they'll be interested in classical music, that they'll be interested in what my job is really like. And that can't be anything but good for the health of this business. So I just kept making a couple more. I got better at producing them. I did one for Rachmaninoff Second Piano Concerto. I really goofed around in that one, just, you know, exploring my comedic voice, I guess you can say. And then I did one for the Hina variations. And as I got better at production, I figured I could do... More things to inform people, more things to entertain people. And there was no goal in mind. There is no goal in mind. They are really fun to make. And I'm really proud of them because, you know, I've realized that some of the greatest artistic contributions I've made to this field happen at three o'clock in the morning in my studio when I'm pulling all this stuff together and I think of a joke. That's the most exciting part of those things where I think, oh my gosh, wouldn't this be funny if I did this? And then you make a little plan to capture that. And when you finally see the finished product, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. That's funnier than I thought it was going to be. Let's see how people react to that. And so far, I think it's been overwhelmingly positive and interesting for people.
0: There's a lot I want to unpack there. And I think the first thing is uh, what you said about um, not putting your, what did you say? Not putting your best foot forward or something? or, or- I
1: have no qualms about putting my less than stellar playing out there.
0: Exactly. So let's talk about that for a minute, because that's a big hang up for a lot of people. And it's funny because back in the day, in like early 2005, when YouTube first came out, I think I was one of the first clarinet players to start putting my recitals on YouTube. And I was still a student. And I remember I posted in the clarinet bulletin board, which, you know, everybody hates. Hey, it's an important institution. <laughs> the B board is still there. I suppose a piece so. Of history. Yeah, I definitely avoid it these days. But but um, anyway, so I, I posted something in there. And people commented like, oh, my God, you're, you're going to totally ruin your career by posting these videos of you playing um, before you're ready. And I remember thinking, like, what does it even mean to to not be ready to, to play? Like, what's the point of playing for anyone then? You know, this is just a new concert venue. It's just online, you know?
1: Yep. Now, I think what you're saying is really important because originally people were timid about putting their playing out there. And now, 19 years after the founding of YouTube, the pendulum has swung completely the other way, where many people use Instagram as a place to showcase their practicing, basically. So you have a lot of content out there where people are practicing their excerpts or putting little snippets of rose etudes or the Mozart concerto on there, and they really don't sound polished at all. But because Instagram's Algorithm rewards people who are persistent. You see these people, they'll put up that 100 days of practice hashtag, for example, that Hillary Hahn started. People who persist and put stuff up there every day gain huge followings. And then you have this whole faction of clarinetists and flutists and everything out there of people with huge followings that aren't very good players. I'm sorry to be harsh and say that, but these are people who would have absolutely no chance in an orchestral audition and who are not fit to play in the great orchestras anywhere. But so you have almost this separate niche that people are carving out where you become Instagram famous and you get a lot of influence, but you're not really doing much to support the health of the industry because you haven't really done the time alone in the practice room the way that somebody from my generation has where you're totally offline You're just grinding away for years and years, and then you step out into your professional career. So, to your original question of, why do I feel no problems putting my bad playing online? It's not bad playing, it's just, you know, it's a work in progress, but in those specific videos you're talking about, I make it clear that this is what it sounds like at the beginning of the week, and here it is at the end of the week. This is what I performed for the public. Let's look at how they match up and what the journey was from the beginning to the end. So the videos have narrative, you know what I mean? They have the work in progress, and this is why it's really important for those videos to have rehearsals in them so that people can see how does stuff come together. A lot of people say to me, "Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe you talk to your boss that way. Like, you talk back. It's like... You don't understand how the dynamic really works between me and my boss. I mean, my boss, John Carlo and I, we're friends. You know, that's how we work. I can stand up to him, he stands up to me, he has opinions, I have opinions, we do not always agree. But you can see how that plays out in the video. And if I weren't gonna put that process in the videos, they would not be interesting. And they wouldn't have any kind of authenticity to them. Because in 2019, You can't only put your best playing online. You know, people can come to a concert, for example, record you slyly on their iPhone, hear you squeak or something like that, and then put that on the internet. You know, you can't control what gets online anymore, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. In 2019, we have no control over your image on the internet anymore because everybody's got a camera and everybody's got a recording device right in their pocket. It's a lot different than it was in 2005. So I just embrace the totality of my playing. And I show people that, hey, even the pros who have good jobs and a lot of influence, we struggle too.
0: Well, it's so interesting too, because a lot of times even not only are things you can't control what goes up, but sometimes you'll be live streaming something or Or something like that. And um, uh, an example of something recently is I played my CD release project a couple years ago when I recorded that little album project that I had. You know, the studio version was very different than the live version. It was some sort of jazzy type stuff. But one of the little pieces, um, I forgot to switch clarinets between the two little kind of songs. And it was sort of just a little jazz club vibe. I mean, super intimate venue. And a funny thing that happened was I picked up the wrong clarinet. I played in the wrong key. There was a little dialogue that went on between me and the drummers as they kind of continued the vamp and I played a little kind of circus joke tune and everyone laughed. (laughs) And when I went to put this on YouTube, I was like, do I cut this out? Because the piece was okay. And the the in-between was not really important, but that felt like part of the performance. Um, so I chose to leave it in and, uh, not that many people have watched that video to be honest, but a couple people that have have found that to be just an enjoyable moment of like, ah, there's a mistake and everyone laughed and the drummer and the musician seemed to be having a good time. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's a mistake. It's not the end of the world. (laughs) Isn't that the joy of live music though? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's where the internet is fusing the world of recorded music and the world of live music. So if you go to a concert and something weird happens, like what you just described, that's part of the experience. If you watch on YouTube a fully-fledged, produced video of somebody playing clarinet, you expect it to be really good because they have the tools of editing and videography and post-production Just like when you buy a recording of somebody's playing, you don't expect it to be one take from the beginning to the end. You know, it's a different type of media. But now with things like YouTube Live and Facebook Live and Instagram Live, we can bring the live experience into people's portable media devices like their phones and their computers, which I am not convinced is really good for clarinet, honestly, because... You can't really transform the live classical music experience into something that works on a phone. This is just my personal opinion. I play in a $150 million state-of-the-art concert hall, and my equipment is geared towards playing in there. You cannot capture the sound of my sound in that venue. You just can't do it. With any of the best microphones, you can't take that experience of hearing the vibrations go from somebody's reed directly to your eardrums. I just don't really believe that that's possible. So that's why I don't really make the old school recordings of myself. Like, I don't think the world needs another recording of the Brahms Quintet, to be honest. Like, I think the the old ones are classic and I can't really add anything to our collective media by doing that. But what I have tried to do is create conversation. Because the internet is a great place for conversation. Like one of the first things on the internet was the chat room, you know, that just let people talk and let people exchange ideas. The internet should be a free marketplace for ideas and sharing concepts. And that's why everything I've done and focused on with clarinet jobs is centered around that conversation, education, not just transforming the experience of live music into something that it never should be.
0: Well, and that's an important point too. I think is the level of production, whether it's a live event happening at a hundred fifty million dollar concert hall, or if it's a studio event happening in a you know multi million dollar studio with a producer and an engineer. And I mean, I remember when I sat down to record my my album project, it was a big pressure. It was a government sort of granted thing, and uh, a lot of arranging and time went into it. and And then I sat down, and the the engineer joked, "Oh, you got about thirty thousand dollars of mics in front of you. No pressure. Ha ha ha." And I was like, "That's crazy." You know, people wonder why they can't sit at home with their $2 microphone they bought at Walmart and get something decent. Well, this is why. This is where the real recording happens. Um, And it's almost silly to compete with your at-home setup.
1: Yeah. And besides, people don't realize the engineers who record that high-level music, like from um, movies or really high-level commercial projects, they've worked as hard at that as we have at playing clarinet. So... You need to have multiple people who are experts in the room. My videos, for example, they have a very kind of indie feel to them because I'm not any kind of great videographer. I'm not a great video editor. I have tried to get good enough at it that I can express the content of what I'm saying in a way that makes it good enough to keep your attention. But if you have professionals in there, everything is in focus. Everything sounds good. The lighting is good. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. So, you really, if you want to make a good, high quality recording of anything, you need a lot of people who are experts in the room, which does not come across if somebody sticks their iPhone on a stand and plays Mendelssohn's Scherzo kind of in an average way.
0: It's so funny, though, guys. I feel like it's it's just interesting because we're sort of flip-flopping. I mean, in some ways, I see the total value of the person on their iPhone recording whatever and, you know, these little videos you're doing and what I'm doing with the podcast. And But then in the same realm, I can also appreciate the fact that yeah, I'm almost criticizing my own craft here. I mean, I'm an amateur podcaster producing a show, but the thing is, it's like I'm not you know, a big radio. I'm not NPR. So what right do I have to even be doing this? So it's kind of opening up a cognitive dissonance. Yeah,
1: but that goes back to what I was saying before about the cream rising to the top. Your idea is new, and it's executed at a level that does not distract the listener. You know, the the audio is good, the website is good, it's easy to download. So you you have to get over that initial production hump if you're going to produce something that people are going to really take seriously. And that's another thing that I said in my first YouTube video, for clarinet jobs is like, I've got a steep climb here with production, but stick with me. I think it's going to be worth it. Once I get to a certain level, it will be fun to watch. And, you know, it's also very stimulating and challenging to learn to do new things as you get older and you get deeper and deeper into your career. Like this week in the Nashville Symphony, I'm playing Beethoven 7th for probably the 15th or 16th time. Not that I enjoy it any less. It's just very different when you're doing something for the first time versus the 50th time.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, just what you said there about the quality and stuff. I mean, I think you're doing a great job, but I see what you mean. As you as you learn and adapt, I mean, it's embarrassing for me to listen to the previous episodes of the podcast sometime when, I, when I've learned something new, but that's the same as playing clarinet. I'd be embarrassed by my playing as a 14-year-old kid in junior high school too, you know? So you've got to always be getting better and, and going somewhere with it. And I think that that's really, uh, you know, a great attitude to have.
1: Absolutely. And that's why you know, thinking of something as a work in progress versus a finished product. The idea that your clarinet playing is a finished product or that any one concert or any one recording or video that you make is a finished product, that's laughable. There is no such thing. Your entire life is a work in progress. So what you just said about your early podcasts versus the ones that you've made now, like how many episodes do you have? Over a hundred? Over a hundred, yeah. Yeah. So you clearly have learned how to do this. I look at my first Mendelssohn 3 video versus the one I did for Hina Stara and I look at the the first video versus just the third one And I'm like man I just really did not know how to solve a lot of these problems back then when I was making that first video that I would never have done that This time I could have made that look so much better. I could have made that text pop out so much easier I could have refocused this I could have recolored that but that doesn't mean that Everybody can be that critical and notice those things. We're our own worst critic
0: well, you know, it's like climbing a mountain. I mean, you can go from zero altitude to the top of the world's biggest mountain if there's a slope. But if there's just a you know vertical incline, you can never get there unless you climb and appear, It <laughs> suddenly just appear at the top, you know, or fly or something, you know? I mean,
1: people need to understand if they're going to embark on this career path, how difficult it is to beat the odds and to get to the level where people are going to want to listen to you play, that people are going to want to pay a lot of money to listen to you play. Let's be honest. Orchestras are not cheap to run. They're not cheap to go listen to. They require a lot of financing. So, you know, anybody that gets into one has a huge responsibility to the art form to not just be good at your job, but to help sustain the livelihood of the craft itself, which is why this has been such a rewarding venture for me, Clarinet Jobs, is because I feel like I'm doing something that contributes to the health of what we're all trying to do. I'm sure you feel the same way about what you're doing. There's reward in it. Can I ask you a question, actually? You have alluded on your private Facebook to getting not hate mail, but you get some some negativity. <laughs> yes. I get a lot of that too. How it's, do you deal with that?
0: You know, I have this, uh, I can't remember where I read this. And I always, you know, I always say that it's so funny because I have a lot of knowledge but I never remember where it came from, and I guess that's okay. <laughs> I'm not an encyclopedia, but but uh, I once read this thing that said you need to take all of the feedback you receive, and you need to take the most positive, and you know appreciate it and take it in, but disregard it because it's probably from someone like your mom, and it's probably not honest. You know, oh that performance was wonderful, dear. You know that's not. That's maybe not true. It's nice to hear, but it's maybe not true. So you need to seek more valuable positive feedback than that. But you also need to take the most negative feedback and dismiss it because those people are also not telling the truth. I mean, someone wrote me a while ago and said, uh, you know, I tried clicking the link, Reddit wouldn't log me in. This is useless. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> and I thought to myself, is that person really a representation of my value in this, um, you know, endeavor? And and the answer is no. And someone else wrote me a while ago too, and they pulled their Patreon funding. Um, they were so disappointed that, that I had sort of an in-depth discussion about teaching. And they said, uh, I can't believe I just sat here and listened to two clarinet teachers argue about getting paid for over an hour. And then, yeah, you never listen to the podcast again, from what I can tell, pulled his Patreon support. And uh, that was that. So, but, you know, with thousands of people listening every month, um, you know, those few that, uh, that 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 write those kind of things, I, I just don't feel that it's um, really worth taking seriously to an extent. I mean, sometimes it's disheartening. I mean, I posted to give away a free T-shirt a while ago and uh, someone wrote me to keep my effing shirt. <laughs> I, that's the one I saw. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, who are these people? Uh, I don't know. It's really weird. And uh, someone else wrote in and said, you know, you put your clarinet together wrong. And I was like, well, with all due respect, I mean... I've been putting my clarinet together 20 years. It might look like I'm bending the rods in the picture, but I like to put the pressure on the points that are meant to be pressed and turn it so that I don't jam my two uh, bridge mechanisms together. Thanks. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's people are so critical and it's, uh, they're so critical before they're positive. That's another weird thing. But how do you deal with it?
1: Well, early on, I got a lot of feedback from people about privacy which is always a touchy thing with clarinet jobs because I'm sharing things that are news. At least I think they're news. I think it's interesting when somebody finally breaks through and gets a job. I think that's something to be celebrated and to be acknowledged by the community because, you know, even though there is competition within the clarinet community, we all have this sort of brother and sisterhood that we get it. You know, we get the struggle. We've all kind of wrestled with Daphnis and Chloe. We know how hard it is to come in at the beginning of Pines of Rome with a good sounding note. You know, we get it. So I used to post the names and information, like all of the information on Facebook in the early days because it had no huge audience. Like I put the nitty gritty about like, this person made the finals, this person got cut, this person was there. And you know, some people who were much more experienced than me openly debated me and said, you know, is this a good idea? You know, is this a violation of people's privacy? And I thought long and hard about it. And I thought, you know, it is. And I have always considered clarinet jobs not as something that I own or something that belongs to me. It belongs to everybody. It's a community space that everybody contributes to. Everybody can contribute knowledge or time or effort. And I just happen to be the person that holds the megaphone most of the time, like speaking for the community. So I do take feedback very seriously. But then, way farther on the outskirts of the community are the haters. That people just want to criticize everything I do. They think I'm arrogant. They think that calling out somebody or calling attention to a certain type of recording or a certain type of practice and opening the floor for discussion about it is a personal attack on somebody. And I think that is just either willful ignorance or just straight up ignorance that people are saying that but I won't lie it is somewhat disheartening sometimes when somebody is so clueless and taking a shot at me like there's some times where I'm like you know what that's just ridiculous and I don't care what that person says but on the other times do you ever feel really sorry for the person like the guy that ha- that takes the time to write you keep your effing shirt like what is going on in this person's mind that makes them think that they makes them think that that's okay to write you and say
0: that it's just bananas to me. Well, you know, they might just be trolling a bit and I can understand the humor in that. Um, but it's, <laughs> sometimes people forget that there's a real person on the other end of the, the, the internet. Like I sometimes receive messages too that are like, I don't know, some question about the podcast and I'll reply and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that you responded. And I'm thinking like, well, well wait a second. I mean, who is supposed to respond to this? But then I realize that, you know, I often write in a message to something that I do or listen to and um, I don't really expect to hear back and I don't. So (laughs) I just think it's a symptom of a larger problem, which is that the art of debate
1: is being lost on all levels of society. And I love debate. I love to exchange ideas, but it's getting more and more difficult to be critical of an idea that's put forth by somebody and not have it be received as a personal attack on the person who put forth the idea.
0: Absolutely. I I totally agree. James, I'm really sorry, but I have to cut this call short today because we only had one hour scheduled and I have to take a call for work here. Um, But let's reconnect tomorrow and maybe this will air as a two-part conversation in the future on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. You can also check out the website at clarinet.com for over 100 hours of free audio content with the world's greatest Clarinet Players manufacturers and more. If you loved what you heard, I'd love it if you'd support the podcast for as little as $1 per month. As a thank you, you'll get access to extended versions of many episodes, bonus content, and more. Hosting for Clarinet is sponsored by Bakun and their new Vocalese mouthpiece, Complex Resonance at a Reasonable Price. Get yours at www.bakunmusical.com and save 10% on any accessory purchase with code CLARINET at checkout. The show is also brought to you by Chamber Music Northwest. With over $20,000 in prizes and world-class guest artists and vendors, their upcoming clarinet celebration and competition is an event that you don't want to miss. Learn more at cmnw.org. Don't forget to check out D'Addario's line of Reserve, Reserve Classic, and new Reserve Evolution reeds. You can head to your local music store or to clarinet.com reeds to buy a box right now. That's all for now. Be sure to tune in next time for more of what's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry on the clarinet podcast.